Hello and welcome to Notes from the Way. My name is Richard. This is a weekly get-together where we talk about what it means to live a Christian life in the 21st century. Before we get started this week, I just wanted to remind you that I designed this and started this podcast to be a, a conversation. Not just to be a one-way monologue, but actually be a dialogue. So if you have anything to uh, say or anything uh, that you have ideas or comments about, be sure and get, get in touch with me. My name is uh, Richard, and my address here is my email address anyway. And I'm not giving out my home address this week, but my email address is nftw, just like notes from the way, nftw at sbcglobal.net. And there's a blog where I post all the articles and the things I reference during the podcast. That is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com. So if you have anything to add or anything to contribute or just a question or a comment, anything, uh, be sure and get in touch with me. Now, let's jump into the news. Now in the news section, I'm going to do something which I said a couple of weeks ago I would not do. That is, I'm going to talk about the presidential election that's coming up next year. Uh, I haven't yet decided who I'm going to vote for, but I'm seeing a real trend here of articles that are about, uh, especially about Mitt Romney and whether or not Christians can vote for him with a clear conscience. And also some about uh, Rudy Giuliani. Same issue, can a Christian vote for him for different reasons? So I wanted to talk about that just for a minute or two. Uh, I've got several articles here. One, the one I'll post on the blog is from the uh, Christian Post, uh, but there's several. It isn't hard to find articles about Christians and their reactions to Mitt Romney. Um, and you have in this one article here, you have several different people giving several different reactions to his candidacy. Uh, there's a uh, What's his name? Don? Don Wilton is his name, uh, who was a former president of the South Carolina Baptist Convention, who endorsed uh, Romney and then backed away from it, said that it was a mistake for him to do it. The president of Bob Jones University has uh, come out and said that he will vote for Romney. Then on the other side, you have people like um, the new leader of the National Association of Evangelicals, who has said that it's uh, just doesn't seem possible for people who uh, have criticized Mormonism for years to now uh, run around and vote for Romney. Myself, like I said, I haven't decided who I'm going to vote for, but I have some uh, thoughts about it. And my first thought is that the there really should be a two-pronged approach to how you look at candidates. First, in the primaries, definitely you want to vote for the person that you think fits your values and your profile of the perfect candidate. Even, I believe, even if you don't think he has a chance to win. So if you're a Mike Huckabee guy, and I'm, I'm just talking about Republicans here because Democrats have all different issues, but if you're a Mike Huckabee guy or a Ron Paul guy or whoever, I say go ahead and go for it. Vote for them. Support them. Give them uh, money. Give them your time. Whatever you want to do. I think that's great. But when it comes down to the general election... And that's really what we're, we're, what's at issue here. And say the uh, the candidate that on the Republican side is Rudy Giuliani. On the Democrat side, it's 
uh, it's Hillary Clinton or somebody like that. To me, what you're looking at is what's better as far as what I believe to be right. I'm just going to look at one issue, which is abortion, which is an important issue to me. And granted, both Giuliani and Clinton are pro-choice. But Giuliani has been on record as saying that he's going to appoint judges if he's elected president, president that will limit abortions. And he's going to make adoption a more attractive option for people. And he's going to do what he can to, to lessen the number of abortions. On the other side, all of the Democratic candidates that I've seen are in favor of unlimited abortions, you know, any time for any reason... So if I have a choice between somebody who says he wants to limit abortion, even if he doesn't agree that abortion should be illegal completely, if I have a, a choice between that person and a person who believes that abortion should be available and paid for and just completely okay, then I'm going to vote for the person who wants to limit abortions. Because sometimes it's better to get half of what you want than to get none of what you want. And you say, well, abortion is still going to be legal and abortion is still going to be available. Well, you know what? To, if we can save a few thousand babies by voting for one person, then I think it's worth it. Even if we can't save all of them, I think we need to do what we can to save the ones that we can. Um, there's another issue then going on about uh, Romney's religious uh, beliefs because he is a practicing, active Mormon. And obviously most Christians don't believe that Mormonism is a true historic Christian faith. And I agree with that. It's not. It's a cult. There's no question about it. And so there are people who are saying that there's no way that a good Christian can vote for somebody who is involved in a cult. And I disagree with that. I completely disagree with that, especially when you're talking in a general election. Uh, because, one, I think that the religious... Uh, the religious affiliation of a person running for office is not that important an issue. Uh, because, one, because people don't always act in accordance with what their uh, their denomination or their church believes. Um, and we can get a lot of examples of that in, in office as, as far as, uh, you know, presidents who have not lived up to what their uh, church would uh, would have for them to do. And, two... Uh, we forget the fact, and we forget the fact that when it comes to people being influenced uh, theologically or spiritually, that really they're influenced by the people that are around them the most. So, if Mitt Romney is the next president, I don't foresee millions of people becoming Mormons overnight. Just like I don't see people becoming Baptist, I didn't see people becoming Baptist overnight when Jimmy Carter was elected president, or when uh, Bill Clinton was elected president, for that matter. We didn't see people becoming Catholic in droves when uh, John Kennedy was president. Because people are influenced by the Spirit of God, by the people that are around them, people they work with, their family, people they hang out with, the people they play with. Those are the people that they look to and they notice for guidance, not so much the president. And so to me, when we, especially at the general election level, we need to look for people that most agree with our values, with our policies, what we think is right, and hold them accountable to do those things that we want them and we expect them to do. 
when it comes to their theological or their spiritual beliefs, you know what? They're not going to have that much of an influence, I'll be quite honest with you. And they won't want to say that. They may not agree with that, but it's really true. People who come to the faith later as adults, almost always they point to the people in their lives. They said, that person was a, was a believer and it made a difference to me. And I wanted to explore what their faith was about. That's what they say. They don't say, wow, I was looking at President Bush or President Clinton or whoever. And I really decided I wanted to be a, a Christian like they are. So, you know, this is a touchy subject. I realize other people have different opinions, but that's mine, is that we need to get as much as we can, and if the president that's elected will only give us part of what we want, especially on an issue like abortion, when we're talking about literally about saving lives, I don't see how we can stay out of the election. If the election is between somebody who will lessen abortions, so fewer babies are killed, as opposed to somebody who will have unlimited access to abortion... I don't see how you can stay out of that argument because it's far more necessary for me to save those babies that can be saved. And everyone that's saved uh, is, is a precious life. And how could you stay, sit out and say, well, if I can't save all of them, I'm not going to save any. I, I don't understand that. So anyway, if you disagree with me, drop me a line. Let me know. Go on to the website or drop me an email and be happy to uh, continue this uh, conversation right up through the general election, and maybe some of you guys can help me to decide who it is I'm actually going to vote for. But for now, before the election, I want us to look for a few moments at what God has to say in His Word. week in the scripture, I just want to share a couple of things that I've been thinking about when I've been going through the book of Matthew. You know, it struck me a few weeks back that I spent a lot of time reading books about Jesus and talking to people about Jesus, and we all form our little opinions about who Jesus was, and yet I don't spend nearly as much time actually reading the books that were written so that I would know who Jesus was. So I've been trying to go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read what they had to say about Jesus and the stories they had to tell about Jesus. Going through the uh, some of the middle chapters, really uh, chapters 8, 9, and 10, some things really hit me about the people that Jesus interacted with and some of the truths that I think we can learn from looking at who Jesus hung out with and looking at who Jesus touched in his life and his ministry. I'm not going to read all three chapters, obviously, but I just wanted to point out that, you know, in the first part of Matthew 8, he heals a man with leprosy, and then he goes and he heals a centurion's servant who had um, been paralyzed. He heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law. At the end of chapter 8, he heals two demon-possessed men who are living out in the um, cemetery. He heals a paralyzed man in chapter 9. Heals a, a does more than heal a girl. He actually raises a girl from uh, the dead in the middle of chapter nine, and a woman who'd been sick. He heals her again. In the middle of chapter nine, he touches uh, the, the blind and uh, the mute, it makes them well again. And it's just interesting. Then in chapter ten, he calls the twelve disciples together, and the group that he calls together is just an interesting group. I mean, it's uh, Andrew and Simon. James and John, uh, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, 
another James, Thaddeus, Simon, the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. And it's, it's quite a group. I mean, there's manual laborers there, people who work in a trade, fishermen there. Uh, there's a tax collector who works for the Roman government in there. Uh, there's a Zealot who's trying to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus's group of 12, and it's just a diverse bizarre group of people it's not the group that we would necessarily get together if we were starting a church or even a social club today a few things struck me by this uh, about this whole little section of scripture is that jesus just touched the people that were in front of him you know these weren't special groups he wasn't didn't have a ministry to the lepers or a ministry to the paralyzed or a ministry to the demon possessed he just was there to touch the people who came he came in contact with I think there's something for us to learn there that we can just touch the people that we come in contact with and they weren't looking for serious deep theological answers they just had needs and jesus touched their lives at the point where he they needed to be touched sometimes i think we believe that we need to have a special kind of theological training we need to know the right words we need to know the right uh, verses to use and the right uh, theological terms None of that is true, and Jesus does very little preaching in these uh, encounters. Jesus just touches people in his life as he's going on. As he's walking around, as he's ministering, as he's teaching his disciples, he's touching these people that just have needs. And, you know, sometimes we make ministry so much more complicated than it needs to be because we believe we have to have certain things in order for the ministry to be real. But for somebody who has a need, all they need is to be touched and to have somebody meet that need or pray for them or just to be there to support them. And that's all they want, and that's all God expects. That's what That was doing the work of God, what Jesus was doing there. And another thing that it just strikes me is that God really wants to touch all of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter what our background is. Uh, you know, the Bible says in Revelation that when we come to the end and all of us are gathered in heaven, that it's going to be people from every tribe and nation and tongue. And it's not going to be you know rich white folk or poor black folk or you know folks in the middle it's going to be everybody that god is drawing his people out of and so sometimes i think that we think some of us anyway that maybe we aren't quite fit for god's kingdom or maybe god's really not interested or uh, excited about being about being a part of our lives but you know jesus touched everybody even the outcasts, even the people who couldn't really be a part of society like the lepers, even the people who weren't Jewish like the centurion, he touched their lives. And he wants to touch ours too, no matter what our background is. No matter where we've been, or no matter who we've been, Jesus wants to touch us also and be a part of our lives. And that's one thing I think we need to remember. The second thing I think we need to remember is that we need to fellowship and be a part of the lives of a lot of different kinds of people. I think one of the worst things we can do is just be holed up in our churches or in our little social groups where everybody looks like me and thinks like me, and we all make the same amount of money, and we all do the same kind of things, we all have the same uh, political party, we all have the same things. That's a dangerous thing, I believe. That's a dangerous way to live. And Jesus didn't live that way. Can you imagine a group walking down the uh, paths and the roads in Palestine with a tax collector and a guy who's trying to kill and destroy the Roman government? You're walking together. And they didn't have anything alike. Do you think Matthew and uh, Simon the Zealot had a lot of things in common? I doubt it very seriously. The only thing they had in common was that they had been called by the Lord. 
And sometimes we miss good things that other people have to give to us and other things that we can learn from different kinds of people because they're not like us. But they are like us if we share that one thing in common, that we've all been touched by the Lord. You know, it's not just racial uh, differences. It's not just economic differences. It's all kinds of differences. And people who are involved in different kinds of work, people who are different political persuasions than we are, all of those things are differences. And But if they are the people of God and you're the people of God, then we need to reach out to those people. I remember when I, remember when I was in seminary that they taught something in the church growth classes uh, called the homogeneous principle of church growth, which was that you, you were going to grow a successful church. And by successful, they mean large in number because in church growth, that's really what counts. Uh, no matter what they, they say, that is what counts. The homogeneous principle is that if you're going to grow a successful large church, it needs to be grown from people who are basically the same. In other words, if you're growing a church that is that has a core of white um, young families that are middle class, then that whole church needs to be basically made up of that same group. And you don't reach out to anybody who's different from you. And you know, I think that's dangerous. And I think it's really been a, a real shame to the church because we can learn so much and get so much from people that are just different from us, that have a different outlook from us. But the The thing that brings us together, the thing that ties us together, is quite simply the fact that we are loved by a loving God, and we are loved by a Savior who died for us. If we can remember that, we can get along with anybody. If we can see the disciples, you know, be fishermen and accountants and zealots and who knows what all kinds of people, then we can get together as believers and learn and grow and fellowship with each other. So I would just encourage you, if you go to a church, if you are a part of a, a body that where everybody's kind of the same, to reach out and church with some people that are a little bit different from you. Fellowship with people who don't share the same political views that you do. Get to know them and get to know the fact that they all love the same Lord that you love. That's such an important and such a freeing thing to know that God loves each and every one of us. And he's called each and every one of us not to be the same, but to be like his son. And the body of believers is big enough that each of us can be a little bit different. As you're reading through Matthew, I hope that you'll just keep in mind, Jesus reached out to all kinds of people because God wants all kinds of people in his kingdom. And he wants all kinds of people in his church. And he wants us to reach out and fellowship with all of his people. We're all his people called according to the name of Jesus. I just want to encourage you to reach out to the believers, maybe some people that you haven't reached out to before, and uh, get to know them, get to know what they have to say, get to know what they're like, what they love, what they don't love. But most of all, just remember that we all are worshiping and striving to be more like the very same Jesus. Well, that's all for this week. I hope you've been blessed, motivated, inspired in some way. If you have anything you'd like to add or uh, join in the conversation, you can email me at nftw at sbcglobal.net or you can go to the blog, which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com. And I really look forward to hearing from you. Until then, God bless.
weapon Both against me Shall prosper Or ever harm me On a weapon Both against me Shall prosper 